How many of you have heard of a website or a group of articles called the Babylon Bee? Anybody heard of those before? If you haven't, you're missing out on some incredibly funny articles. It's, it's basically satire against the Christian culture, but it's not really, it's making fun of Christians, but he is a Christian or they are Christians, whoever the writers are, the man behind the curtain. Um, it's written by Christians for Christians. And a couple weeks ago, the beginning of this year, there was an article that was entitled, um, Seven Awesome Church Name Ideas. And I thought, in light of the fact that most of us just came out of our small groups where it was a little bit of a contentious chapter um, in the book that we're all reading, I'm a church member, where he says that church shouldn't be about our desires or preferences. I thought in light of that, I'd share just five of these awesome church name ideas in order for a church to grow. So see what you think about these. The first one that they suggest is called Holy Grounds Coffee Shop and Tavern. He says, one of the best ways to get people in the door is to make sure no one knows that you're actually a church. To that end, some of the most successful church plants in recent years have simply launched under the guise of a coffee shop or even a, a bar, then secretly hit patrons with the gospel once it's too late. The second name, Journey Life Vision Hope Community Church. You want a really good, good buzzword at the front of your church's new name, as the apostles taught us. But if you want a surefire success, just combine all the buzzwords into one and add community in the title for good measure so no one suspects you're associated with those stodgy Baptist or boring Methodist. <laughs> the third idea he had, the burning metal factory. Another angle is to go for the super manly name. Men won't come to church unless your name suggests something rugged, grizzled, and macho manliness. A name like the Burning Metal Factory hits all those buttons and also might trick them into thinking they're going to a heavy metal concert as a bonus. <laughs> Number four, this might be my favorite. Jiffy Church, we'll have you out of here in 15 minutes or less. <laughs> there will not be a church on changing, a vote on changing our name to that. Nobody wants to sit listening to a guy drone on and on for a whole 20 minutes. You guys wish it was 20 minutes, don't you? <laughs> Pick a name like this if you want people to know your service will feel light, breezy, and fun, as gathering to worship the God of creation should be. And then fifth, the church that's all about you. This name is awesome because it cuts right to the chase. One lets people know you're not going to call them to selfless sacrifice for the sake of Christ. Rather, you're going to do backflips to make them as happy as they can be. Isn't that the way it should be? The conclusion of the article, he says, remember the golden rule. Any name that sounds churchy isn't right for your church. Ax the name of your denomination and pick less church-sounding words like gathering, place, or club. Put a little swag in that name and your church will be the most hopping place in town in no time. Now you can rest assured we're not taking any votes and I don't have a recommendation to bring forward this morning that we're going to change our church name or we're going to take the name Baptist out of our, our title here. I'm not going to add the club or gathering or fellowship to it. But as we studied last week, and we know that article is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but one of the things I pointed out in the message last week is so many churches that we have gone from being what we should be, which is a God-centered church, to becoming man-centered. And you see this church growth phenomenon where they have experts and books that will teach you if you just do this one little tweak or one little change, all of a sudden you can have church growth and your church will explode. Only problem with that is that's not found in the Bible. The apostles didn't really teach that. Um, it's also become popular to hear this saying. you probably heard this before. I have a personal relationship with Jesus, but no personal relationship with his church. 
in, in September, no, excuse me, in April of 2012, this was the cover of Newsweek. It said, forget the church, follow Jesus. Forget the church, follow Jesus. That was only, what, five and a half years ago. And the author of this article, Andrew Sullivan, he made the point and he claimed that, that, that the church today is nothing more than a political machine. It's nothing more than a, a group of, of people and it's big religion. And if you just want to truly follow Jesus, that America has no need for the church today. We just need to follow Jesus himself. Friends, not only is that statement, not only is that article ridiculous, it's unacceptable. That would be like saying, well, I'm attached to the head, but I don't want to be a part of the body. Remember 1 Corinthians 12, that Jesus is the head of the body. We've got to make sure that when, when someone says something like this or something along the lines, of, I've heard this one before too, well, I love Jesus, but I don't really think I need to be part of the church because they're just full of what? They're just full of hypocrites. Usually my first response is, well, come join us. One more certainly won't hurt. Um, you can sense the compassion in my voice. Uh, again, we're talking to Christ followers here, all right? Those that have made a commitment to follow Jesus. But then my, my next statement is usually something along the lines of, there is no way that your relationship with Jesus Christ, that it is what it ought to be. There's no way that your relationship with Jesus is what it should be if you're not a part of a local Bible-believing church. Why? Because loving Jesus and not loving his church, which by the way, the, the Bible says the church is his what? His bride. If you love Jesus, but you don't love his bride, you're not a part of his bride, that is unacceptable to him. Now, let's, let's go back and remember, in, in your hands, I hope that you have a, a copy of, of the Bible. If you don't, there, there's one in front of you. And in the, the, there's the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the New Testament there, we call them 27 books. But in all actuality, they were really 27 letters. They were letters that were written mainly to who? To, to churches. They were letters that were written to these churches, these local body of believers. And if it wasn't to churches, maybe it was to a pastor or a teacher or an elder in the church. Sometimes it was written to a, a, a gathering of Christians. It maybe wasn't a church, but it was an area like we're studying in 1 Peter or in James. But you see, in the early church, you didn't have a personal relationship with Christ without a personal relationship with the church. Why is that? Because if you wanted to hear a word from the Lord, if you wanted to know this is what God's word said, then you had to go to a church to hear a letter that was read to you, written by man, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, that said, this is God's word. This is what I want you to do, whether it was from Paul or someone else that wrote this letter. So let's go back to understanding that it, it's impossible, or I don't know how you can justify saying that I love Jesus with all of my heart. I've given him my soul. I trust him with my eternity. But then saying, well, but I'm indifferent, or I'm apathetic to the local church, to his instrument of how he's using the, the way that his message is going to be carried out throughout the world. Let's go back to our, our original definition that I gave you two weeks ago of what do we mean when we say the local church? The local church, it consists of a group of Christ followers. You have to be a believer in trusting Jesus Christ with your soul, with your eternity. Okay, That's what the church is made up of, of Christ followers who do these, these few things. They regularly assemble to worship and serve the Lord. That's the ultimate thing. Not only are they worshiping and serving the Lord, but they're also strengthening and building up one another in the faith. So we're talking about this vertical relationship. 
that it's, we are gathering together to worship God, to strengthen and build up one another in the faith. So they're all talking about this relationship between us and God. But then it also extends to the vertical relationship. The church also involves ways that we can come together and love and support one another. That mainly happens through our small groups, that we know one another, that we pray for one another, that we meet needs when there are needs that we, we develop. And all of this comes under the umbrella of making sure the end goal is that we are carrying out the mission of Christ. Church is not something that we do on Sunday. Church is not a place where we go. This building is not the church. This is where the church meets. But we know the church it consists of the body of believers who are coming together. The last few weeks, we've been studying 1 Peter on Wednesday nights. And one of the things that 1 Peter um, tells us is that as, as Christians, he tells us where our true citizenship lies. I want you to listen to this verse in 1 Peter 2, 11. I'm going to read from, a, from the Holman Christian version. He says, Dear friends, I urge you, and look what he says, as strangers and what? And temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. Peter says, as a follower of Jesus, I want you to know this world is not your home. You are a stranger. You are a temporary resident here. I want you to live that way. I want your life to look like you're not clinging so tightly to this world because you know that you're just a temporary resident. So that our desires, our priorities, the things that we spend our time doing, it should look different from the rest of the world. Why? Because we are temporary residents here. And then you go on in the New Testament, and not only does Peter say that we're to live as, as temporary residents and, and strangers, but then Paul tells us exactly how we are to live while we are here as temporary residents in the world. He says this in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore we are, and here's the key word, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to do what? To be reconciled to God. So while we're here on this earth, while we are a stranger living here, he tells us to live as what? As ambassadors. What does it mean to be an ambassador? An ambassador is simply someone sent from one country to another country with a mission. They know, this is not my home. I've been sent from, from whether it's the United States to another country, but I've got a mission to carry out the mission that I've been given. So as Christians... Where does our true citizenship lie? Not a trick question. Starts with an H, ends with an Evan. Where is it? Heaven. Our true citizenship is not as Americans. Our true citizenship is in heaven, and we have been sent to this land where we now live for 60, 70, 80, 90 years, but we are to live as ambassadors, understanding this world isn't our home. We've been given a message. We've been given a mission which is found in the Word of God, and may our lives reflect that we're not carrying out our own message, that we're not living out our own mission, but we know that we are carrying out the message and the mission of Jesus Christ before we go back home to live in eternity where we were created for. So those two things, if we just hold on to those two things as we think about our role and our relationship in the local church, again, this only relates to Christ followers, the two truths. One, we are strangers and temporary residents here on this earth. And two, we are Christ ambassadors. I could end right there. Some of you would say amen. You'd say we'd have that 15-minute church, but I'm not going to. But if we just took those two things, 
If we did nothing else the rest of our lives, but we lived out those two truths, that we understand that we're just here for a moment, we're not going to cling so tightly, and that we have a mission, a, a mission while we are here on earth before we go to eternity, it would revolutionize our effectiveness for the kingdom of God. If we just live those two things out. But over the course of this series, we've been moving forward, and there, there's been progression, and I hope that you've seen kind of where we're moving in, in this This Is Church series. And in week one, we looked at the, the purpose and the role of the local church. We were particularly in 1 Corinthians 12, where we saw that, that each part has um, its own job in the body of Christ. Then last week, I shared with you what I call the four non-negotiables for First Baptist, that as a church family, we must cling to these if we're going to continue to be invested in God's kingdom and follow him completely. So today, I want to spend some time answering the question, why is it even important that you belong to a local church? How can we respond when someone comes to us and says, well, why is it even important that you're a part of the church? If you just follow Jesus, if you just read your Bible, why do I even need to be a part of a church? This morning, I want to see five, I want to give you five reasons why it's important to belong to a local church. The first reason is simply it's an obedience issue. That if we're a Christ follower, that he calls us to be a part of a local church. The New Testament does not teach about a person connected to Christ that's not connected to a local church, at least not for an extended period of time. As plainly as I can say this, God desires that every follower of Jesus, that they, that he or she would be connected to a local church. It's his will. How do we know that? Because God loves the church so much that what did he do? He sent his son to come and die for the church. Remember, the church, it's his, it's his design. It's his idea. It's his chosen instrument. It's his vessel for how he's going to carry out his message of truth and love. Friends, if you want to be obedient to what the Lord wants in your life, you can rest assured that you know he wants you to be involved in his church. That's why I'm so thankful for Caleb Farrow's influence in our college students, that he encourages them that whenever they go to college, not to, to just cling to their membership at First Baptist, but to find a church where, where they're living, where they're involved, and you pour and you invest in your life there, that we know that it's an obedience issue. Not only is it an obedience issue, but secondly, it's, it's a fellowship issue. God wants every single disciple of Jesus to be actively involved in a local church. It's a fellowship issue. He says, the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. He says, let us not consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And look what he says here, not neglecting to meet together. That's fellowship, that we would come together as, as is the habit of some. But what? Encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now let me take a time out here for just a second because... I want to share something with you, but I want to let you know this never happens in this church, okay? But sometimes in other churches that I'll, I'll attend or I'll go to, and they'll pull me aside when they find out that I'm a pastor, and they say, Pastor, can I tell you about a few things that I don't like about my church? And I say, hmm, sure. And they begin to give me one, two, a hundred things that they don't like about their church. And usually when they tell me these things, my response is, good. And they look at me and they say, why would you say that? Well, here, here's my main point that I would say, good. It's good that we are involved with a local body of believers that have disagreements and varying preferences. Why? Because that is the whole idea of God calling out a body of believers to serve him together. 
You see, church family, we come together not because we agree on everything. We come together not because we have the same preferences. No, no, no. We come together in spite of our disagreements. Why? Because we are united in Christ. We keep the main thing the main thing. Think about this. If everything in this church, or maybe you're just visiting, and if everything in your church, if it was exactly the way that you liked it, it was perfect, probably the person next to you wouldn't like it very much. Probably the person you're going home with today, if you're married or you have kids, wouldn't like it very much. You see, we've got to make sure that if it's exactly the way that I like it, then it's probably not the way that someone else likes it. Chances are there's something that's being generous. Chances are there are many things that you aren't particularly fond of the way things are going at First Baptist or maybe even just in the hour that we're here together. Hear me on this church family. That's healthy. That's good that you don't love everything that's going on. Why? Because your continued presence in this church, despite everything not being the way you like it, you know what that indicates? It indicates that you're willing to lay aside your preferences and sacrifice your desires for the good of Christ's body. It says, you know what, even if it's not the way or how I would choose this curriculum or sing this song or do it this way or we stand too much, we don't, I don't like this train, whatever it might be, we say, you know what, I'm laying that aside for the good of Christ's body. This proves that we're not simply going to church to have our our preferences satisfied, but instead we're going to church for the ultimate desire for why God created the church, which is to use our gifts, that spiritual gifts that he has given to us, to collectively come together to serve the kingdom of God. And when we come together, when we get involved, even though there are things that we don't like, we are making a profound statement. What's the statement we're making? The statement we're making is that God's work and God's people are much more important than my desires or my preferences being met. God calls us together in this local body for fellowship, for ways that we can serve one another, not because we're all alike, but he calls us to serve together in spite of our differences. It's an obedience issue. It's a fellowship issue. And thirdly, the reason that God wants us to be a part of a local body is to help feed us. Paul says this in Ephesians 4, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Church family, we all need to be led. We all need to be warned for those times that we stray from God's word and we stray from the path that God has called us. We all need to be instructed. And here's the good news. God has spiritually gifted men and women in this church with the spiritual gift of teaching. And God gifted them to us so that we can be together in small groups. We can be together in a worship service like this. And they will invest in our lives to help us nurture our lives so that we look more and more like Christ. That's why I get so confused, especially with this new uh, trend today where they'll say, well, I just listen to church on my phone. Or I just listen to the sermon. That's not really church. It's a good sermon. You can grow that way. There's no such thing as a podcast church. There's no such thing, and I'll see this on Instagram, and I've shared this before, where they'll say, oh, I'm so glad I don't have to go to church anymore. I can just watch church from my living room. I can just watch church on my phone. Friend, that's not church. You need to be shepherded. 
You need fellowship of the body of believers. We all need to gather together to be nurtured. And this happens through the local body, the fellowship of believers where we are fed. Number four, we find our identity in the church. We understand that as a follower of Christ, Paul says this all the time. He says, we are in Christ. We are inseparable from Christ. You bear his name. If you are a follower of Jesus, you call yourself a Christian, literally a little Christ. You bear his name. That's our identity. And number five is that we see that in, in the church, through the local church, that's where ministry occurs. Not only do you find fellowship within the body of believers, but you also find opportunities to serve others. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian and you are not serving, hear me clearly on this, you are not following in the footsteps of Jesus. Period. Someone once said that we are most like Jesus when we are serving others. That's what he's called us to do. And in, in your worship guide, you should see there's a, a, an insert there that says ways to serve. I thought it was there. It's right here. And I want you to pull that out right now. We put this together because as this series we've been talking about that if you're a member of this church that there should be something that you're participating in. One church pastor that I know, he says that he doesn't call his church people that join. They don't call them members. He calls them owners. Members have privileges. Owners have responsibilities. I kind of like that that we have a responsibility to contribute to the life of this church. And you say, well, I don't know where to serve. I don't know where my, t my gifts can be um, utilized. Here's three pages of different ways that you can get involved. And I'm not going to take time to read those to you, but I want you to take this home. And my hope is that if you're not serving somewhere, that you'll look over this list and you'll pray and say, God, where is it that you can use my gifts that you've given me to strengthen your church? And there's some contact information. There's emails there that you can send to say, okay, this is where I want to plug in and get involved. He wants us to serve and to use our gifts for the good of his kingdom. So hopefully in the last few minutes I've demonstrated and I've explained to you why it's important that we belong to a local church. Not that we're just a member, not that we can say I belong to First Baptist Church Decatur, but we are actively engaged, that we are participating in the work of the kingdom. But I, I want to end our, our time this morning and our next few moments by looking at what kind of church are we? Not only what kind of church are we today, what kind of church do we strive to be? What kind of church do we hope to be in the future? See, I hear a lot of talk today about two kinds of churches. They say either your church is inwardly focused or your church is outwardly focused. You got to choose which one you are. Now, those that are a part of a church that is outwardly focused they would criticize the inwardly focused church by saying things like they are built on preferences and doing everything just to please their own members. That's what they would say about the inwardly focused church. But those that are a part of the inwardly focused church, of course, they're going to criticize the outwardly focused church. They're going to say something along the lines of the outwardly focused church. They do whatever they can to attract and bring people into the church. So with those two thoughts... What kind of church are we, and what kind of church should we be? Should we be an inwardly focused church? Should we be an outwardly focused church? It's kind of a trick question, because I don't think the answer is either one of those. In fact, I don't think either one of those is the biblical way to look at church. This morning, in our remaining moments together, I want to suggest to you a different alternative 
and one that I hope that as a church family that we will strive to be. That's not inwardly focused. It's not outwardly focused, but it's upwardly focused. I hope that as a church that we will strive to be an upwardly focused church. What does that mean? Three things, then we're done. As an upwardly focused church, the goal, one of the goals is that an upward focused church exists to please God. I think you set up the argument on false foundation when you ask the question, do we as a church exist to please our members or do we exist to please our neighbors? An upwardly focused church said, no, 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 that's the wrong question. The right question is, do we exist to please God, not man? Look what um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please who? To please him, meaning God. Our primary question should not be, well, what will our members think about that? That's the wrong question. But also, hear me, the wrong question is also, what will the unchurched think of that? That's the wrong question is too. The primary question that we should be asking, whatever we do, whether it's preschool ministry to senior adult ministry, the primary question that we should ask is, will this please and glorify God? He is our support. He is the one we're seeking to please. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, so whether you eat or drink or what or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of whom? of God. We must see that we as a church, we exist to please and honor and glorify God. Secondly, an upward focused church, it ministers to its members. The local church can and should minister to itself. We must continually serve our members. Listen to the words of the apostle Paul. This was used in our first week of study in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So what's the purpose of serving one another? Why do we minister to our own members? Because when we do that, we are serving and we are ministering as a local body. We are ministering to Christ himself. We serve the church because the church is Christ's body. And when we minister, when we serve to the body of Christ, we minister to Jesus himself. The church does not only exist to serve those outside of the church. Galatians 6, so then as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Look at this part. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. We exist to honor and glorify God. One of our goals is to minister to our members. But then the third and last part is a church family. That the upwardly focused church, it shares the gospel. If we are focused on honoring God, not honoring man, then we will take the words of Jesus at the Great Commission. We'll take it seriously that it is our calling, it is our command to share the gospel with the lost. If we are an upward focused church, we will not only be able to talk about, we won't be able to help, but talk about what Jesus has done in our lives because it's a continual walk with him. I love the story in Acts chapter 4 where Peter and John are ministering in Jesus' name and, and they're told, if you continue to talk about Jesus, if you continue to tell all these miracles that he's doing, it's not going to be good for you. 
So all you have to do, we're not going to put you in jail. We're not going to do anything bad to you. Just stop talking about Jesus. Don't say anything else about Jesus. And listen to their response in Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. It says, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot what? But speak of what we have seen and heard. We can't stop. You can do whatever you want to us. That's up to you. But we can't help but speak about what God has done in our lives, what we have seen, what we have heard. We're going to share the story, and I hope that's true for us, that we can't help but share the gospel with the lost. See, church family, we should, as a church family, as individual followers of Jesus, we should be a reflection of Christ to the world. But too many times, people look at the church, and they look at Christians, and they see just a copy of themselves. They say, I don't see anything different with you. I don't see anything different with your church and the way we're living. And understand, we will never reach this world for Christ simply by acting like the world. Simply by watering ourselves down and doing whatever we can to say, well, let's look as much like the world as possible, but let's still be a little bit good. Let's be moral in, in these areas. Paul, who was probably the most evangelistic man to ever walk the face of this earth, He said this in Colossians 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And look at this next sentence. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. We must see our commission, our command to share the gospel with the lost. So let me set this up and see, here's the differences in the three churches. The inward-focused church, they see worship, not just singing, but worship as a lifestyle. They see that as something for themselves. It's common to hear them say things like, well, we've always been doing things like this for the last 175 years, and we must continue to do things like this because it's always worked for us, and if we change, you might lose some members, and we need to make sure that, that we don't lose anyone, and, and, and we can't really worry too much about the lost out there. We can't worry about the heathen because we are the church, and we've got to focus on ourselves. Now, the opposite is true for, by the way, that inwardly focused church, they probably won't be around the next 10 to 15 years if they don't adapt and have a heart for the next generation. The outward-focused church, they see worship not as something for themselves, but they see it as something to attract the lost. That worship, the only uh, form of worship that's acceptable, something that's going to be appealing to those outside the church. This seems to be the trend, I, I would say, for churches for the last, I don't know, 25 years or so. They say things like, anything that has tradition in it, get rid of it. Anything that's older than 25 years, it can't be relevant. If it was good back then, it can't be good today. They say things like, you need to water down the teachings of Scripture. Make sure whatever you teach, don't teach anything controversial. Don't teach anything that might offend someone because it's our job as a church to attract the lost at all cost. Friends, that's why I said last week that the second non-negotiable for our church is that we will always see that Scripture has an absolute authority over this church. The upward-focused church doesn't focus on themselves, doesn't focus on the lost, but the upward-focused church sees worship how? As sacred. As an offering that seeks to please and honor God alone. When we are an upwardly-focused church, our desires, our preferences, the trivial things of church life, they remain just that, trivial. Trivial. Because we understand our marching orders. 
We understand our calling is so much greater than just the trivial matters of desires and preferences that we are called to live here as ambassadors to carry the message of Christ, and we are living for eternity. My hope and prayer is that we will be a church that takes the old hymn seriously and that we live it out as the hymn says, turn your eyes upon who? Jesus. If your eyes are on Jesus, are they on yourself? Nope. Are they on others? They're up. Look full in his wonderful face. And then the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. May we seek to glorify God and God alone in everything that we do as a part of First Baptist Church Decatur. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gift that you have given us through your local body, through this church. We thank you for the privilege that we can gather together freely without fear of what might happen. And we can serve you, we can sing, we can worship, we can fellowship, we can instruct others in your word. And Lord, I pray that it doesn't end there. I pray it doesn't end with just information that we hold within ourselves and we live our lives as if what we read in your word, what we experience together on Sunday morning, it doesn't impact our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. But I pray that what we have been gifted through your word, through the fellowship together, that it radically changes how we live our lives. I pray that as a church family that we would always and only exist to please and honor you. Let us not get distracted. It's so easy and we know that the enemy wants us to get so distracted about it's not what's in it for me and what I like and what I don't like and what we need to do to grow. That's not our goal. Our goal is to honor you. Would you keep us focused clearly upon your word that we would be a church that is found faithful in your sight. Would we seek to honor and glorify you in all that we do? For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.